In fandom's flame and nerdy light, let our passions now take flight. Embracing life with all our might, we are geeks and we're all right. Hello everybody, I am your host, Justin Hunt, Green Lantern of Sector 2814, Highland Division, and you're listening to the Kilted Lantern Podcast. Now, today we're touching on a subject that's actually very important to me as someone who has received uh, fandoms from uh, my parents before me, and have tried in my own way to hand them down to a younger generation of nerds. Now, I'll be joined uh, for the discussion time by uh, fellow Geek Page members, um, Greg Bowen, the actual founder of the Geek Page, and Paul Clayman will be uh, returning to our show after the Halloween episode, so it's nice to have him back. But before we get into any of that, I want to talk about our usual kilt tip and cosplay tip. So, in this section, I'm going to talk a little bit about the Great Kilt. I mentioned that in the previous episode to some degree, and I started talking about the arrangement of the top portion and how there's very uh, many tutorials online that go about showing how to do that. But there is one uh, thing that a lot of people tend to miss when they're uh, looking at ways to arrange the top portion of the Great Kilt. Now, this also works for half-belted plaids, and if you're at the point where you're looking for advice on a half-belted plaid, you already know what that is. But now what this piece of advice is for is to show you how to not pin your great kilt to your clothing. Now there's a few reasons for that. First of all, a lot of the uh, sold as kilt brooches tend to have very large pins that will put rather sizable holes in the fabric of whatever you're pinning it to. And in the case of some things, it's not really that big of a deal. In a kilt jacket, you can have a dedicated section and those holes will just be there forever and you just reuse them whenever you're going to do it. Um, however, not everything you're going to be wearing with your great kilt is going to be a dedicated kilt garment, and sometimes you may not necessarily want those holes there permanently. Now, the other thing is that um, when you pin the top portion of your kilt to your uh, jacket, shirt, whatever, it can make it ride back, and it can make it rather uncomfortable to wear, or even feel like it's choking you. You have the same problem with fly plaids, which are you know a decorative piece, kind of an homage to the great kilts. <laughs> for uh, high dress occasions. So there's lots of reasons to not necessarily want to pin your uh, top portion of your great kilt to your clothing. Now, my solution for this, uh, now bear in mind I'm right, well, I'm ambidextrous, but I'm primarily right-handed in terms of what I do, in terms of like writing and things of that nature. And since the world's pretty much designed for righties, it's just easier to work it this way. Um, what I tend to do is, when I take my great kilt, I take the two front corners of the top portion, which when you put it on, you have them wrapped around you. There'll be two corners hanging way down in front that's part of your top portion. You pick those up, you pull them off to the sides. Um, the inner, fa- inner apron section will be pulled to your left, and then the outer section will be pulled to the right. Now this is again at the top part, but this is the portions that are attached to those aprons respectively. And then you'll pull it around and you'll tuck them behind you. 
um, that will make a rather broad section across the front. Now you can also invert that if you want a little bit uh, less bulk around your middle section, which is what I usually do is I usually invert that. So I take the part that's attached to the front apron, pull it off to the left, and then the part that's attached to the right apron, pull it around I mean, to the inner apron, and then I pull that around to the right. And I know it's confusing, but again, there's tutorials. And then you tuck those corners in your belt behind you. Now that's going to have a large, almost a bustle looking thing in, in the back section. Now, what you can do at this point is you can take some of the material that's hanging on your left side and you want to grab that by putting your hand straight down, grab that, pull it up onto your shoulder, leaving your arm completely exposed. It'll come underneath your armpit area and you'll hold it up. And then you'll grab the middle section of the back piece, which I know it's kind of awkward to do, but you can do it. Pull it up around to that same left shoulder from behind give it a little bit of a twist to help hold it all in position and then you'll touch the two pieces of fabric together and that's where you attach your brooch is where they overlap it's a lot easier with diagrams a lot easier with tutorials but i'm telling you this technique tends to get overlooked a lot and that allows you to broach um, the top part of your great kilt to itself in such a fashion that it doesn't readily fall off your shoulder because you have it kind of cross anchored across your uh, lower back and it's all up out of the way and in a nice neat fashion that lets people know hey I'm wearing a great kilt but I'm wearing it stylishly sleek and you can wear a regular sweater underneath it you can wear a regular shirt or a vest underneath it and it's not going to damage any of that and it's not going to cause it to pull back on you and strangle you or just be generally uncomfortable or look bad so that's your kilt tip for this uh, episode and like I said, I know it's a little confusing, but I assure you there are uh, tutorials online. The other, uh, so it's just more or less me, uh, yeah, just kind of pushing that forward in terms of what I recommend. Now, the other thing that I want to talk about is, of course, the cosplay tip. Now, I wear glasses. Um, it, it's been a feature on me since I was two. I feel naked without them, actually. Um... So the idea of dealing with glasses as part of cosplay, it came natural to me as having to deal with them all the way through my life growing up um, with Halloween costumes and any other costume I might ever had to put on. So what I do is I find ways to either incorporate them into the costume, which is always an option. Um, like when I'm wearing a mask uh, that has a nose on the front of it, I'll just wear my glasses on the outside of it until I need to take them off for whatever reason. Um, or I take them off for the pictures and put the mask on then. Or, you know, try to avoid the face paint from touching the lenses of my glasses. That's also another real fun trick. But, uh, you know, it happens from time to time. You have to just deal with that. But I want to talk about is dealing with them when you're going to get pictures taken of you at, like, cosplay uh, moments and events, like conventions and things like that. Now, what I do is I always make sure that when I'm putting my costume together, I have something to carry my stuff some form of a bag or even a pouch on my belt, um, my Green Lantern costume uh, for the Kilted Lantern, I always carry in my Sporin a hard glasses case. Now, you always want the hard shell case because if you put it in a bag or a pouch or whatever in a soft glasses case, you could potentially break your glasses by moving the stuff out of the way. Um, also, another fun thing to do is to have a pouch on the back of your costume. The smaller your back, if you have a cape, it covers it nicely. Um, I've seen women use their um, upper 
portions of their costume as a way to kind of hide them, but I have often wondered if that doesn't put more pressure on the frames than necessary. Not being a woman, I'll never know. Um, but always try to figure out a way that you can stow your glasses if you wear them. Because it is a part of you, and you shouldn't be ashamed of it, but it can sometimes, you know, make for a strange picture, especially my glasses, which are transitions. They turn to sunglasses when I go outside. You really don't want that being anything that's uh, going to block your eyes during photo shoots. Um, you don't want uh, the glare off your glasses sometimes. They, that can be problematic. And sometimes it just you don't necessarily want them as part of your costume. Um, another thing you can consider trying to do is um, having a waistband that's exposed in the back so that you can hang your glasses off of that. Um, also, it's always handy to have a friend that'll travel along and hold them. But always, again, try to have a plan for what to do with your glasses if you don't want them on during your photo shoots. And that's really my piece of cosplay advice. I'm actually in the process right now of trying to work out a power battery for my lantern costumes that opens up for storage. It's a pet project, and I'm going to make sure I have a spot for glasses in it. Um, so that covers that. Um, before we get into the discussion, though, I just want to make an announcement. I'm going to make it again toward the end of the episode that uh, for March, the short episode, which would normally be on the 1st, is getting moved back to the 25th. It is for the J.R.R. Tolkien Reading Day, which March 25th is the Tolkien Reading Day as established by the Tolkien Society, and I'll be participating in that, and also since February is such a short month, that would be a lot of episodes back to back, so I'm going to state that. And I also want to let you know that the next episode will be touching on the subject of toxic fans and how not to be one. And I think that ought to be an interesting time. So with no further ado, let's go on to the discussion of hand-me-down fandoms. Hello, everybody. Uh, this is your host, as usual, and I'm here today with a couple of gentlemen, and we're going to discuss the idea of hand-me-down fandoms, and that is fandoms that were uh, either passed down to us or that we will be passing on to others. And it's an interesting subject when we think about it as our formation as nerds and geeks in this world. And I'm joined uh, today with... Uh, Paul Clayman, who um, is actually back on um, his first episode with us, was the Halloween episode A of last season. Hello, Paul. You want to introduce yourself? Hi, this is Paul. Um, I guess uh, I can't say much about geek cred. I tried starting a comic book shop back in the day. <laughs> Had every aspiration of getting into comic book illustration, so for web design, and now I DoorDash. <laughs> um, have two kids, uh, and um, huge on Transformers, Star Trek, Star Wars. I can keep going, but we've got a limited amount of time. So, all right, all right, and I'm also joined by uh, Greg. Greg, you want to say a little something? Yeah. Hey, everybody. I'm. I'm Greg Bowen. I'm from Alabama. I am the founder of The Geek Page, and I also run the official Star Wars fan club on Facebook. I'm married, and I have a young son. Um, 
I've managed a bunch of rock and roll bands, been in a couple, <laughs> uh, been reading comics, you know, most of my life. And I'm an avid Star Wars fan, uh, but I also like Star Trek, you know, no problems there. G.I. Joe, uh, DC Comics, all of that, Green Lantern. So, uh, yeah, I'm just, I feel like I'm a pretty well-rounded geek in, in my mid-30s. All right, then. Um, okay. Now, as I said, none of us uh, can ever really claim to do too much on our own. We're all standing on the shoulders of giants. However, I think it's important to uh, understand our uh, legacies. Now, um, I'm going to ask you guys, have you guys actually, well, I'm going to ask uh, Greg, I'm going to ask you first, and then I'm going to move over to Paul, and we're going to go back and forth a little bit this way, just to try to keep things orderly. Yeah. Now, um, Greg, have you ever received any fandoms from anybody, or is this all pretty much your own volition here? Well, growing up, I, my parents are not into anything that you would consider you were uh, consider geek them. Uh, when I was six, I went with my mother to the mall. She took me to a Suncoast video showing my age. But she took uh, took me to Suncoast, and I remember her asking, do you like Star Wars or Star Trek? And I didn't know about either of them, but one of them said war. So I said Star Wars. So she bought me the original trilogy on VHS, the actual 1980s release before he released them. And I grew up on those three movies obsessively. So I guess I could credit my mother technically with, with putting – put me on to star wars but honestly and most of it i found myself uh you know i've always been interested in things like that uh, starship troopers and and uh, transformers and ninja turtles you know i mean i was a kid growing up watching that kind of stuff so mostly i'd say yeah I, i'm a self-made geek all right now uh Paul, how about you? Do you have anything that you've received from, you know, those gone on? The I, mine's kind of a stretch, just like Greg's. I could kind of sort of credit my dad. Um, the closest I could say would be Star Trek, the original series. Um, watch it on my grandfather's black and white TV, which you know that that just <laughs> no worrying about the whole red shirt thing. What can I say? <laughs> Rock and roll, man. <laughs> but uh, I'm sure that or Lawrence Welk. So, yeah, good choice, good <laughs> right? choice. But that, I don't know if that really resonated at the time. But yeah, I, I after that, it kind of became a self-made thing. I, I probably, if I have to pick a fandom, it was Transformers. But yeah, I watch all the cartoons, like Greg said. Uh, Transformers, Ninja Turtles. Um, you old enough to watch G.I. Yeah. Joe when it was on? <laughs> yep. Um, nice. Yeah. So, well, I think if we're all being honest here, we're all products of at least the mid to late 80s. Yeah. Yeah. In my case, early, but you know. But uh, all right. Um, I, I, my experience is um, I had a dad who was more into sci-fi and westerns and a stepdad who was into pretty much everything else. Um, 
not quite with the intensity that we think of with modern geeks, but they were certainly more than willing to introduce me to new things. Um, I remember uh, my stepdad and dad didn't really get along for the most part, and that's a pretty common thing, um, actually. But uh, I remember uh, when the previews for the uh, Shadow movie came out in the 90s, mm. yeah. um, I remember sitting there at home. My stepdad got really excited over that idea. And then I was at visitation with my dad for the weekend, and he got really excited over it. And I'm like, well, if these two are both excited, I've got to figure out what this is. <laughs> and uh, that sent me down my uh, pulp uh, story and pulp heroes kind of fandom. And, of course, I grew up also in the 80s and 90s. So, you know, um, I go all the way back to He-Man and Thundercats. Uh-huh. And I got those directly from my uh, older cousins because I came in at the end of He-Man. So most of my He-Man toys and Thundercats toys and all that kind of stuff were things that they had owned. And uh, it wasn't because my parents weren't willing to buy me anything. I mean, they weren't loaded, but they weren't, you know, necessarily destitute. But, you know, but, hey, I wanted the stuff that I could only find at garage sales. So what were they going to do? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, then it just kind of went from Ninja Turtles and Ninja Turtles was first run through and. Well, let's just say the rest is history with my stepdad's old comic books, my dad uh, watching, of course, your you know, Star Trek, your Star Wars. Um, and he was also a big fan of Xena, Warrior Princess, but I think that had more to do with uh, Lucy Lawless than it did necessarily with anything. I, that yeah, I mean, sure there's a lot of guys that would admit to that. <laughs> yeah. Count me in. All right, but... All right, I don't want to go full locker room here, so we're just going to break off from there. Um, <laughs> all right, now, we all established that, you know, we kind of grew up in this whole nerdy, geeky kind of thing, uh, and I'm wondering if there's any kind of memories that you guys wanted to share on that. Um, you know, something in particular that made you realize that, you know what, this stuff is cool, and I don't care what happens after this. I just want to enjoy this for what it is. You know, that moment where, you could say your geeky side was truly born. Oh, gosh. Uh, Paul, uh, Paul, you want to try on that one? Um, can, you, can you say that question again? I, I can take that um, question, actually. I've okay. got a good example. Okay, so, okay, Greg, if you want to dive in with uh, when you can think that your truly geeky nature was born, let's see what you got to say. I was in the sixth grade, and I did my uh, verbal book report of the year on heir to the empire by, mm. by Zan, yeah. uh timothy zahn was a big influence on me early on in my star wars I and mean, he still is uh you know i'm more of a legends canon guy but i remember standing up in front of a class of a bunch of folks who did not know anything about star wars and i proceeded to give a a 10 minute lecture on uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn and Mara Jade and all of that to a bunch of blank faces in return. I can remember my palms were sweaty, but I knew after that there was no going back, you know. <laughs> yeah. I, I was out of the geek closet at that point, and uh, that was, you know, it was, I didn't care. I didn't care if they didn't like it. Because I was going to give them a heavy dose of it for the rest of our time together. Mm-hmm. I, I guess I can't. Uh, I can't really compare to that. My, I, I suppose, if we're going based on that, I probably didn't really embrace mine 
Probably until after I was married, unfortunately. <laughs> I my I, it's a tie between going to my first Star Trek convention and and, and uh, you know going in costume and all, or um, had a film class in college, and our assignment was to find uh, errors in filmography. <laughs> You know, case in point where grabbing the wrong hand in uh, Robin Hood and so on and so forth. Um, mine was to point out animation errors in the Transformers animated movie in 86. So, Well, there's a few yep, of them there. There's a, there's a few. And yeah, much, much like uh, Greg was saying, I'm staring at a classroom of a bunch of blank faces like, what are you doing, man? <laughs> well, no going back now. Right. <laughs> yeah. Once once that information's out there, you're just kind of labeled officially the nerdy geeky kid. And uh, I don't honestly know that I was ever actually in the nerd closet per se, because I've always been the kind of guy that just, even as a kid, just went in there and if I liked something, I liked it. Period. Um, I went through a phase in my uh, early childhood when I was completely infatuated with the fifties, hmm. and I remember. Uh, and, uh, oh, it was probably kindergarten or first grade. I can't even remember that detail because of how far back it's been. But I remember my mother uh, giving me a talking to because I was throwing a fit getting a pair of glasses because she wouldn't get me the kind that looked just like Buddy Holly's. <laughs> Those big old ugly black horn nice. ones. Wow. Yeah. Nice. So I remember that kind of thing. And I remember being in school like my, you know how every kid has that first day of school and brand new outfit kind of thing going on there. And they were going to wear what they, you know, really want to show off. Yeah. Um, each year it was a toss up between the 1950s white t-shirt and jeans or a Ninja Turtle shirt. You know? <laughs> nice. Now which turtle was your turtle, Justin? No, oh, don't ask that question. Leonardo. Leo? Oh, I was all about Michelangelo, yeah. man. Yeah, well, I still got actually back here behind me in this recording session. I have my turtle that I got um, when I was seven. He's still around. I'm not talking about the toy. I'm talking about an actual turtle. <laughs> um, his name is Leo, of course. And he's hanging out here in the aquarium behind now, you've me. You've had enough time. Have you trained him to use a pair of katanas? Um, unfortunately, he has no thumbs. Oh, yeah. Okay, Master Splinter. That kind of hinders it. <laughs> yeah, and also pepperoni is bad for real turtles. I had to get that lecture from the pet shop. Right. Nice. Um, <laughs> all right, but anyhow. Okay, now, and, you know, like I said, the terms of nerd memories and when I can honestly say that I feel like I was the most alive as a nerd um, in terms of coming to that realization. Um, again, I'd go back to either kindergarten or first grade. I remember sitting in the living room eating pumpkin pie, I'm guessing it was sometime in November at that point, it was probably leftovers from Thanksgiving or something, and watching Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla <laughs> on TV. And my cousin sitting in the back of the living room where I was, and they were bored out of their mind, and I'm thinking, oh, well, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who do you think's going to... All right. Sorry. Who do I think is going to win in the uh, Godzilla versus Kong? You know, you, you're such a geek that you only needed three words to finish that sentence. You are better than Google, my friend. <laughs> Go well, right ahead. Yes. Who's going to yeah. win that? Definitively, the fans. Yeah, definitely. I will not pick sides between Godzilla versus Kong in this one because I have some speculations that make me think that it's not going to be either of them. 
but I don't want to potentially tread on priest Uh-oh, boilers. Oh, you think Mothra's going to come in for the win at the end? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, come on. I love Mothra. I don't think Mothra's even going to be a part of this one. I think uh, Kong's going to be laying there, and Godzilla's going to be walking up on him, and, he's gonna say, and Kong's going to say, save Mothra, and Godzilla's going to go, why'd you say that name? And yeah, I didn't realize they spoke English. That's incredible. Actually, only in one movie, and that's Godzilla on Monster Island. But we're going to leave that alone. Um, (laughs) Because that movie is, yeah. (laughs) Prime Showa era, that's all I'm going to (laughs) say. Now, okay, now, here we go, this next one here. Now, you guys each have kids. Um, Paul, you want to say anything about your uh, younglings on this matter? Not too much detail, of course, but, you know. In what respects, as far as what they're in? Uh, just, you know, approximate ages and maybe gender oh, so we know what we're talking about here. I got here. a son and a daughter. My daughter is 14 and my son is 16. Um, okay, I just officially aged a little <laughs> bit there, but okay. Yeah, I know. Imagine how I feel. Um, <laughs> and, and things are, I guess, a little unique with my son being he's uh, on the autism spectrum, but I, that's only from the world's view. It, it, I mean, I guess it makes it interesting when it comes to fandoms because when, if we get to that, when we get to that part, <laughs> his enthusiasm about certain things, I'm okay with. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, Greg. Yeah, wanna... I got I got one son. He's nine, and uh, he's a chip off the old block. <laughs> the kid loves. All of it. We we watch. We just finished watching a couple of Resident Evil movies this morning. You know, when we went from that, we went from that into the old X Men cartoons. So you know, he he, my son is. He calls himself my little my mini me because mm-hmm. everything I introduce him to, he just gobbles it up. We just got him a mobile infantry flag okay. because he loves Starship Troopers so much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, um, now I, I don't have any kids, so I'm just not going to have much to put in there. But that what you said there does actually lead nicely into this next question. Um, now, do you consciously um, try to hand things down? Like, do you just decide, you know what, I think he's old enough where he might appreciate this, or I've seen him show an interest in this, so he might like this? You ever do anything oh, yeah. like that? Oh, yeah. All the time, man. I mean, with with my fandoms that I've grown to love, I mean, with rock and roll bands that that I I love, uh, sports teams. My son, I pass it all down, and he often asks me. You know, I've I've got a room full of collectibles, Star Wars, Green Lantern, all that stuff, and he's always mm-hmm. like, "Dad, can I have that when you die?" Huh. <laughs> At least you're yes, nice speaking about the future. I'm already asking before that, so can I have that yeah. now? <laughs> no, appreciate no. it for a few more years. But uh, Logan's collection is is growing. His room is is filling out nicely, so you know he, he's doing all right. Nice. Okay, um, Paul, do you do like to do anything intentionally, or is it more of an osmosis been, kind of thing? For me, it. I don't know. Bryson's always been kind of tricky. He. Um, He showed an interest in Transformers and Ninja Turtles when he was young because they're always trying to reintroduce those shows 
through Nickelodeon and very, you know, reboots and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So he caught on to that wave real quick. And I like, I just jumped right on that. Um, I think as far as anything else, it's been mostly through osmosis. Sadly, near kid has gleaned onto Star Trek. Kind of sad about that, but daughter briefly spree- uh, expressed interest in uh, Star Wars when Force Awakens came out and thought I didn't get my foot in the door and it, it didn't hold. But um, on the flip side of that, we are very excitedly working our way through X-Files. Oh, cool, man. Yeah. Uh, so, uh. She might be more the mystery yep. intrigue oh, type. Mulder and Scully. I, I'm afraid to break mm-hmm. the heart when we get to the later seasons where it didn't really go off the rails. But oh. well, uh-huh. she wants to see it all, so I'm going to show it all to her. Yep. <laughs> because let's face it, part of our fandoms is just taking right. things warts and all. All right, now um, I don't. Again, I don't have any children. However, I have made it a point to try to hand down some things uh, to my uh, nieces and nephew uh, from my sister. She, I, I was uh, highly active in their early lives and such. And well, the thing I really tried to hand down the most was history. And well, that stuck with one of them, and he did really, really great with uh, medieval uh, armed and armored combat and. But he's kind of gotten away from that some. Um, however, my youngest niece made me feel really good uh, the other day. She was here, and we were uh, talking about stuff. And I mentioned the Lord of the Rings movie. She goes, oh, yeah, I, I know those. I, I remember those. And then I said, do you remember them good or remember them bad? And she goes, good. So, you know, yeah. something stuck. Um, I, I'm, we're slowly working our way through the Marvel movies with her. Um, she's 18 and just never really got into it. And well, since she's been living with us now, um, she's been kind of in this nerd sphere because my wife and I are both hardcore nerds. We're not going to ever lie about that. And I think it's starting to either rub off on her or she's been around it so long where she's starting to get curious. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm hoping that goes well. I figure Marvel movies are a nice way to introduce normies into the fold because they're comedic. They're action-packed. They're not too deep. Normies, that's funny. Normies. <laughs> I like that. Well, yeah, there, there's geeks and there's normies. And normies is not a derogatory term. It's just, you know, distinguishing. <laughs> I guess I should say uh, normal Americans, and, and we're nerd Americans. I don't like to use the N-word. I really prefer geek. Eh, well, I technically fit nerd, dork, <laughs> and geek, all three, so I don't really put much distinguishing I'm into just it. just kidding. <laughs> All right, but anyhow. Okay, so now you guys have talked about uh, their uh, receptiveness a little bit. Um, so I guess the next question I have for you then is um, how do you guys respond to when they really like something? Um, I mean, is there like is there a moment of like deep and profound pride or is it just a matter of casual acceptance in hopes that it goes deeper well for, for me uh you know i never was able to share any of my my geekdoms with my dad i still can't he you know he, he still looks at me funny if i mention it so i get very excited when logan uh 
really latches on to something that I also like. Um, and, and if he, if we find something, you know, we continue on with the sequels or whatnot. And, you know, I try to foster any, any, uh, any fandom that Logan takes to, you know, cause even if it's not one that I I'm big on, like I didn't watch a lot of He-Man growing up. I know that Justin, that's like one of your big fandoms. And, and I actually, oh, yeah. he, he, my son loves He-Man. He, he got, we got him a DVD of, I don't know, it's like 25 episodes, you know, a greatest hits kind of thing. And, hmm. and he, he knows all the characters we've gone, had to go to, flea markets and, and garage sales looking for old figures. Mm-hmm. You know? So even if it's that bad. Well, they got a new line of figures yeah, out yeah, now, Greg. I did they hear got a new about line that, of figures. so we'll probably be uh, getting into um, They're about 15 to 16 a piece, depending on where you go to buy them, but they're not too bad priced, and um, they're durable enough where you can let your kids well, play with the them. Most important thing. Um, uh, a buddy of mine actually was just telling me a fun story. He introduced his kids to uh, He-Man through the live-action movie because they're more oh. into live-action than they are cartoons. <laughs> and he came home from work one day and he saw his son sitting there with his He-Man figure. He has red crayon all over the back and the harness is off. And he goes, what did you do to your toy? And he goes, well, the man hit him with the whip in the movie, so I made the marks. And it's like, he couldn't be mad at that point because you know his kid took to it but yeah so but back to the subject here i'm sorry i digressed no it's all good man well logan's uh, room is full of star wars figures uh, i i did that on purpose growing up i had one star wars figure Zuckus, that someone had given me uh I, I grew up in they call it the dark times i was born in 84 and they, nothing mm-hmm. new came out until 90 six so growing up mm-hmm. i had no star wars toys they just there weren't they weren't available and my parents weren't going to spend the money to get the ridiculously overpriced original figures so i used to take my gi joes yeah. and pretend they were star wars figures so when mm. was born, if he wanted i loaded him down mm-hmm. you know what i mean he, he took to star yeah. wars and i made sure he had everything he needed to get into it Yeah. Um, Paul, what do you got to say? What what happens when uh, one of your two uh, really latches on to something that you introduce them to? Well, <clears throat> when it comes to my daughter, I, I have to kind of, I, I get pretty excited because, uh, yeah, Greg, I, 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 uh, I'm a little envious of you. The fact that Logan uh, latched on to everything. My daughter does not share my same taste of music, does not share much taste of anything. <laughs> so oh. when she latches onto something like Axe File, I got excited. Really I hear excited. You, I hear you. <laughs> um but my son, um I don't know, like I said, I, I think I've just part of it is the autism. I try to be very supportive, but at the same time <laughs> when when he's getting excited about, you know, the newer live action Ninja Turtles movies, there's part of me that cringes a little on the inside. Brian, the originals. <laughs> can, can, we, can, we, can we watch this instead? Or, <laughs> or Transformer movies? Can we watch the animated one? It's funny you bring but, up the Ninja Turtles. Logan, <laughs> uh, I introduced him to the original film. 
And so that was his point of reference. So when he saw the new ones, oh. he was like, what is this crap, Dad? <laughs> <laughs> yes. You framed them well. I try. All right. Um, yeah, when I introduce uh, any kid I've ever had to deal with to something and they really take to it, I really, really try to push and keep forward momentum on that. When I remember when my nephew, he actually took a liking to the whole historical reenactment thing. One of the first things I did was I went out and I bought a split cowhide and some paraffin and a few other uh, things to treat the leather with. And I made him a leather combat harness. So he was like, you know, six years old with a leather combat <laughs> harness awesome. and a small hand That's axe. Awesome. Um, I actually just found that uh, we were moving recently and I just found that in the storage area. Oh man, that That's made awesome. me smile so big. Um, it was a shame when he kind of got out of it though. Unfortunately, uh, sometimes kids, when they start growing, they get out of sure. things a little bit. Um, which that comes to the next point is, you know, now what happens um, for you guys is when they just, you, you go to show them something, you introduce them to something that really means a lot to you, and it kind of bounces well, off. I haven't really had that problem too often. Uh, Logan, I, I don't know, man. He, he's, a, he's, like I said, a chip off the old block, so I haven't really dealt with that. What about you, Paul? Um, I guess I kind of just, you know, I think it goes back to the fact that um, I never really had the fandom handed to me per se. So I kind of let it just roll because I want them to develop their own passions and wanted to find their own. Cause I think part of being involved in a fandom is, is part of the escape, but also finding part of your own identity in the fandom. Mm -hmm. And so I think the kids need to develop their own identity. So like I said, my daughter got excited about Star Wars when Force Awakens came out. We watched it in theaters, but I tried to get her to watch the next ones, or <laughs> even better, let's watch the originals. But um, she she just kind of faded out of it, and I was like, okay, you know, let her find her own way, or she'll come back to mm -hmm. it, or she'll find something else. And then we found X Files. So, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it kind of hurts a little bit when you go to share something that's particularly meaningful, but you're right, very much right about that being a matter of when they start, you know, finding their mm. personalities and something. Um, the thing about when I got involved with the geek page, it was like finding my own clan. Um, when, uh, Greg and I were talking on, I think it was the, uh, blog yeah. of Oa fan site is how we ended up uh, meeting each other <laughs> online. Well, well I was sharing uh, a Green Lantern-inspired tartan, and apparently you thought it was neat or something like that. We started talking, and the next thing you know, I became uh, number, I think it was number 97 of the first 100. Yeah, that's good memory, pages. that thing. Um, it's been a while. We used to yeah. only allow 100 people. You remember that? We used to kick people out if they weren't mm -hmm. active. Yeah, well, now we're opened up a little bit more, but beyond that, but yeah, it, it kind of hurts though when I, you know, try to share something and it just bounces off. I'm like, you know, it's not even going to make a dent. But again, again, I don't have any children of my own, so I kind of expected it to some degree, you know. Right. And uh, I remember uh, talking to uh, Sam uh, 
not your Sam, Greg, uh, Sam, friend of mine, who is actually on, uh, well, we're recording this in advance, so it'd be the episode before the last episode um, for uh, January. Uh, she and I were talking a little bit um, off the recording, and she's like, my daughter's really, really young, but I don't know how it's going to go, because if she ever rejects some of the stuff I go to show her, it's going to be like she's rejecting a part of me. Well, I hope she manages to work that out a little bit, because, you know, I, I know very well what it's like to have people, like, completely ignore what you like. I get it every day when I'm at work. Although I felt really good, a uh, little old lady at work the other day, she works in another department, and I was going past her on power equipment, and she gave me oh. the Green Lantern. <laughs> that's cool. Nice. That made me feel really geek. good. All right. Well, I go around there every now and then. Whenever I see people looking a little down, I throw my fist up in the air, and I don't know if they think I'm doing the Freddie Mercury or what the deal is, but they go with it. It makes them smile a little bit, and that's my goal. You know, just making yeah. people feel better yeah. through geekdom. Um, but anyhow, but now this next thing I have here is now, Paul, you've got a little bit more experience with this one because of the age of your kids, because um, I know dealing with my uh, nieces and nephew and a couple other kids, I was really big, you know, in their life early on. Eventually, kids grow out of things. Um, I mean, we all have those one things that we liked when we were younger that we kind of grew out of. Um for example, I'm not as big into Thundercats. I mean, I still enjoy it, but it's not one of my top fandoms by far, um, primarily because of the Robert Burbles. I forgot how completely <laughs> noxious those were until I did a rewatch of the series for um, the uh, reboot episode that I was recording with. Um, I did a rewatch, and I forgot how noxious those things were. Um, uh, Voltron was another one that I just completely grew out of altogether. I don't even have any particular. Oh, man. They got a re now, uh, Netflix made a new one. Man, Logan digs that stuff, man. My son just finished that. He yeah, my wife so into that. <laughs> he watched it all in the course of like a week. Yeah, my my wife is uh, really trying to get it. Yeah, my wife's trying to uh, convince herself she needs to watch it, but she remembers the uh, old one too fondly, yeah. and she's afraid it's gonna mess with it because she's yeah, big into anime. No, you can appreciate both. Tell her, give it a go. Oh yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I actually kind of like the reboot of Thundercats they did back in 2012 a little bit better than I do the yeah, old man. one, and that's hard to say. Um, but nonetheless, um, but knowing how we can grow out of things and all that, um, Paul, like I said, Paul, I think this question is more directed at you given the age category of your two. Um, how do you feel when they start growing out of something that you were kind of hoping they were going to stick with? Um yeah, that that actually, it, I'm not sure if that really applies here, um, because like I said, the only thing that has really stuck with my daughter is still going is X Files, um, and my son, I think, with like I said, with his autism, so far he really hasn't grown out of things. He goes through phases, you know, he'll get obsessed with Spider-Man for a for a while, and but he'll swing back around. Uh, <laughs> nice pun there, huh? Swing back around. Anyway, um, mm -hmm. you know he he he's you know Transformers. He's still into and he's been into that. Um, I think probably the only thing that might have scaled back is probably Ninja Turtles. But um, gasp, <laughs> right? But uh, 
yeah, that's don't I worry, you'll come it, back it, around. I'm sure. I, I I don't. I think it's just on a back burner. I don't think it's ever really gone. So. Uh. Okay. Now, I, I've had that experience with my uh, nephew, especially. He he really kind of grew out of a lot of what we were into together, and that's why we don't hang out like we used to. I mean, he's got a wife of his own. He's moved on, and I expect that. You know, kids no. grow. That's what they do. Um. But I remember when he started phasing out of his uh, reenactment stuff, it's like it was it was a little bit of a depression. I'm not going to lie. There was a little bit of a funk involved there. I mean, but ultimately, you know, people grow and become their own person. I mean, we're still all growing ourselves to some degree. Um, And I think that, you know, it's important when we uh, go through that, that we remember that they're not rejecting us. They're just, you know moving on to other things. They're being their own person. And I think that's important. I think it's important. I think the only this. thing that I kind of feel a little disappointed is that neither one of my kids really picked up Star Trek. The whole, you know, the whole betterment of humanity, the, the striving, you know, putting an end to, you know, wars mm-hmm. and, and bettering humanity. I kind of missed that. I kind of wish I could have imparted that to the next generation. But, yeah. Well, I, I get that because, I mean, I love Star Trek. I, I'm more Star Trek than yeah. I am Star Wars, but I love them both. <laughs> oh, hush you. <laughs> You're an Imperial and you allow yourself to be allied with that rebel sympathizer uh, wife. Of you. I, I don't really like that. Sm- Samantha rebel scum. <laughs> <laughs> And then I hope she, you know, sends well, him to his room. But anyway. On. We told Timothy Zahn that. And uh, my wife did it. And Timothy told her, well, just remind him that he's imp trash. <laughs> like, oh, my gosh, Timothy. <laughs> no. That's harsh, but I like it. Anyway. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that uh, so we need to definitely uh, – Need to keep in track, though, that they are, they are going to grow into their own person. They're going to find new things that they enjoy. And, and we need to focus on that and make sure that we're not trying to hold them back into our own little, uh, you know, geek worlds of our own. But now comes the next question here, since we're talking about growth. Now, are there any fandoms you're waiting for the right time to introduce them to? Walking Dead. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a huge Walking Dead fan. Uh, uh, read, I started with the comics, mm-hmm. you know, and the show, uh, big collector. And so he's he's very aware of it. He knows the characters and all that. But I, I feel like he's still too young to watch unedited, unfiltered Walking Dead. I, I would agree with that. But, you <laughs> know, I mean, I do let him watch. So we did watch Resident Evil earlier, but it was on like TNT, you know, so. Uh, yeah. Oh, but so it was Walking Dead. Dead. I don't know. He, he soon. I, I I think soon. But I'm waiting. That's that's one for me. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Like I say, I just have to play it by ear with my son as far as what mentality he'll ever amount to, as far as what I think he can or cannot handle. But um. I would have loved to mm-hmm. have said there's things about my daughter I would like to have held off, but apparently she's already found out about things. Um, her, huh. One of her biggest things is anime. And apparently she did. And, <laughs> and oh, boy. I, 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 I like anime. 
there's a lot of good stuff out there. There are some that probably shouldn't be appropriate for a 14 year old. Oh, Lord. Cowboy no, Bebop right. among that list. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which one? Cowboy Bebop. Oh, man. That's one of my favorites. Right? But, she, but you're right. right. <laughs> but um, yeah, she's already watched it. I was like, oh. Yeah, 14 well, might be a bit young. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> good show, right? Oh, well. <laughs> Well, just just you know, try to keep in mind at least she didn't ask you about tentacle monsters. Yeah, why don't you just let her pop her down and show her Acura? (laughs) Yeah, I mean that's a that's that's the next step, right? (laughs) Um, yeah, um, like I said, I don't have any kids in my life that I'm waiting to hand anything down to. Um. I have a couple things in terms of like collectibles that I'm waiting to hand off to whoever I think might actually appreciate it. But in terms of hand-me-down stuff, I can't give anything on that. But uh, now here's another question I have for you guys. And this is going to kind of open us up to some free chatter here. Okay. What's a memory that you just really, really treasure with your kids about, you know, things that you've introduced. The Force Awakens in, in theaters, taking Logan. He was still too. He was young, but that was for me. You know, for me, that was special because I was taking my son to see Star Wars in theaters. Something that my dad had never done for me. Mm. So, and we've seen mm-hmm. every Star Wars film since, and he and I together in theaters. You know, it's yeah. our thing. You know, we go and we watch every Star Wars movie together, and it's been a wonderful little journey. You know. About you, Paul. Um. Wow. <laughs> Wish I could. Mine was poignant, but uh, yeah, that I, I. My dad did come with me to uh, a lot of the next generation Star Trek movies when they were in theaters. So there was that, but that was just to spend time with me. I don't know how much he got out of it, but for my me and my kids, <laughs> it's funny that you brought this question up, Justin, because I was just thinking about this before we came on. Is, um, I think. It, it's a tie, but the one that I'm going to say first is the one that came to mind first. And that's when the first, as, as much as I knocked it earlier, when the first uh, live action Ninja Turtles movie came out with the newer story. Um, the reason why it sticks in my head is because both kids went with me. And we we actually took a selfie in front of the uh, standee that was in the movie theater lobby. So I've got a picture of me and my kids standing in front of the okay. Ninja Turtles in the theater. It was yeah, that's cool. That it it that's probably one of the more memorable ones. Second close would be was when we went to see Bumblebee the movie in theaters and even the wife tagged along and it was about every one of us was enjoying that movie. It didn't matter what level we embraced Transformers, we were all laughing. That was great. <laughs> yeah. So all right. Um for me, um one that I can honestly say that I really um uh, appreciated was um, when my nephew was probably about, you know, I'm actually gonna use a different one because it's another one that just made me feel like a moment of true pride. Um, I gave my nephew for his 16th birthday, his first <laughs> chainmail hood and shirt That's cool. for reenactment. Yeah. Um, I remember, you know, 
trying it on with them and getting it all on there. And I got on all my gear. My uh, cousin uh, got in all of his gear. And we just <laughs> went walking around town there in our small town of North Baltimore. And our full reenactment kits, we stopped at a gas station, got fountain drinks. Stood out under the sign, running straws through the helmet uh, air holes. So like a medieval and Silent Bob, huh? He wasn't the least bit, <laughs> more or less, yeah. And we were out there, and we just had a fun time. And it wasn't like, you know, he was ashamed to be seen like that. I mean, his friends were passing by on the street and everything. He was just waving at them. Wow. It was a truly proud and honored memory for me. Well, that and when we took him to a restaurant in his gear in February, it was all oh. cold outside, so the metal got cold. And he walked back. We walked into this uh, small town pizza place. Everybody just stops and stares. He goes, "I got to use the can." We hear him thudding down this old wooden hallway. The, we hear the door shut, and then we hear, "Whoa, that's cold!" <laughs> because the running joke is, whenever you get a square, you never actually tell them how to go to the bathroom in armor. They got to figure it out on their own. <laughs> it's like a rite of passage but yeah those moments are true memories for me um now paul you said you no, had another one you wanted to share in with all that in the bumblebee movie okay that was okay good no, i didn't want to cut you off or anything uh but i just got a little bit of news here um but anyhow now with all this being said with the idea of handing things on um I, I guess the question I have is, do you guys feel like handing this down is going to be part of a legacy, or do you think it's just something that you're Both. trying to do fun with your kids? Oh. Both. Yeah. And, you know, uh, I mean, I have a lot of stuff that's worth a bunch of money, you know, a huge collection, and, and that's going to him one day, you know, but... We it it is a lot about just enjoying yourself, so I'd have to say both. Yeah, I would have to say both as well. I mean, I don't know. Like I said, I don't know what how this will you know impact my son and you know in the years after I'm gone. But um, at this point, it's just about enjoying each moment with him, and what he carries forward would be just a plus. Same with my daughter. I'm just enjoying watching X-Files with her every night. And, um, you know, what she carries forward to her kids, it, you know, that would just be a plus. If it's a legacy that carries on, great. If not, <laughs> I'm just enjoying time with them. So, and I, I think that's a sound point to land on there. Because, yeah, it's important that we're trying to pass things on to some degree, but ultimately... The memories are what's really going to well, last I mean, I with us individually. Isn't that what, well, I guess it, kind of what Greg was saying, you know, he never got to enjoy a movie in theaters with his dad on a subject that he enjoyed. So I think that's, you know, that's something that we're all trying to capture is, you know, that that bonding moment with our kids that, you know, that they're going to identify with. That's something that we wanted when we were kids. That's something we want our kids to have. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, guys, this has been a good time, and it didn't take as long as what a lot of these recording sessions tend to, 
but I don't want to beat this uh, really important subject into the dirt here. So I think I'm going to go ahead and I wrap it, this Justin. up. Paul, so I appreciate All right. Well, you gentlemen try to have a good night. And Paul, you try to stay warm. I know exactly what's going on out there right now. Okay, this is February, and I know that this episode comes the day after Valentine's Day, but I don't think that I uh, have done enough to address the fact that uh, this month contains that uh, very special holiday for very many people. So to make up for that a little bit, I'm going to uh, have our character spotlight, which this time is Star Sapphire Carol Ferris. Those of you who've... uh, followed this long and even looked at the very name of this podcast know that I'm a Green Lantern fan and so really having this particular character just makes good sense but it's a character that not a lot of people understand because people complain that Hawkman has a convoluted story well I'll tell you what the story of Star Sapphire is duly confusing now this character managed to uh, carry over to some extent from pre-crisis into the modern age of comics. Um, Her real name is, of course, Carol Ferris. Her primary alias is Star Sapphire, but she has also been known to be part of Predator, which will be discussed in a little bit here. Um, She has a father and a mother who are both deceased. Uh, That would be Carl and Christine Ferris, and an ex-husband, Gil Johns. Um, She is, of course, of the member of the Star Sapphire Corps, um, Queen of Zamoran, and is a member of the New Guardians. Now, she is a businesswoman and pilot uh, who uh, took over from, took over a Ferris aircraft from her father, Carl, when he decided to start seeing the world. Um, She fell in love with a pilot that she hired, Hal Jordan, but uh, it was always an on-again, off-again relationship as she uh, couldn't quite let her mind wrap around the fact that she was dating an employee and also because having a secret superhero personality really doesn't make a guy too stable in terms of relationships. And even after she found out he was the Green Lantern, it really didn't improve their relationship any. Which is one of the reasons why I think it's ironic that she became uh, a member of the Star Sapphire Corps, which is known for their great love. Now, she originally was a villain of the Green Lantern. Um, The Zemrons chose her to be the new queen, and when she refused the role, they implanted the Star Sapphire gem in her, and it took on a personality of its own, and I mean literally of its own. Star Sapphire was almost like a split personality, and was later even revealed to be its own character, separate from her. Um, and it also uh, led to the formation of a character known as Predator, which was yet another part of her. Um, a male alter ego, if you will, that uh, took form outside of her. Again, I told you, it's a very interesting and kind of confusing thing um, but nonetheless 
As Star Sapphire, she regularly battled Green Lantern, um, usually Hal Jordan, um, although she did take on a few other different lanterns, including Sinestro, and she's actually the one that killed Cat Matui, much to uh, Jon Stewart's um, depression because at the time he was married to her. Now, the gem was uh, separated from her after a few rounds with the Green Lantern and ended up in the Metropolis Museum where it was accidentally taken by Lois Lane. Now, how that can be accidentally taken out of a museum, I have honestly no clue, but somehow managed to. And that led uh, Carol to have memories, which had always been suppressed, of being Star Sapphire and sent her looking for the gem. And after she got it, she was able to use her powers to make Superman her slave, primarily because she believed for some reason or another that he had killed Green Lantern. And she was eventually defeated, and learning that Green Lantern was alive, her personality returned back to Carol Ferris, but she kept the gem. Um, After that, Star Sapphire would duel again and again and again with Green Lantern, and he would always defeat her, and she would revert back to Carol Ferris. Now, a little bit more on the Predator character. Um, Once the evil Star Sapphire persona was uh, removed from her, the third identity formed, and that is the male character, the Predator. Um, She was in a depression after being deprived of Hal Jordan's love at the time, and everything she wanted had manifested into into this person outside of her, known as Predator, um, and he did a lot of stuff for her, including uh, defending Ferris aircraft from Eclipso Demolition Team and Jason Block. I believe that's pronounced Block, could be Blotch. And he also established the company um, Intercontinental Petroleum, known as Control. Yeah, real subtle there, DC. And that allowed her to uh, take over Ferris aircraft again. Um, eventually, Predator started to court Carol, as it's termed here in this article. Um, But she did not know that he was a part of herself, and then Predator took on Hal Jordan for the name of love. And of course, Hal wiped the floor with him, because that's what Hal does. But then um, Predator merged with Carol um, by way of the star sapphire gem that was with her. Um, Predator later reappeared and revealed that he was actually a, a parasite from the planet Maltus. Uh, those of you who are Lantern fans are familiar with Maltus. And uh, they left uh, Jordan powerless, somehow or another. And the Predator transformed Carol into a totally evil version of Star Sapphire. The one that actually murdered Cat Matui. And this Predator guy also impregnated Star Sapphire with a demonic entity. Um, Carol became the administrator of Extreme Justice's Mount Thunder facility, and her and Predator were completely separated from Carol eventually. And the Star Sapphire actually gave birth to the child, and it was revealed that Carol Ferris and Star Sapphire are two separate beings. That's how she found out that information. And Sapphire was not Carol transformed, it had been previously believed, but rather an energy-based being who inhabited her body. Um, Later on, the parents, uh, Predator and Star Sapphire, were killed by Neuron, um, who took their baby and left. Um, I don't know what happened to the kid after that. I don't really follow Star Sapphire too closely, but I think in this case, it's uh, 
an interesting character to go for with a character spotlight. Um, now that this time, Hal was operating as the Spectre as he had been killed after the events of Emerald uh, Twilight. And he decided to go visit Carol and make himself visible and tells her what's going on and decides to help her that she won't remember his visits. Um, that's when he separates Star Sapphire Gem out of her because at the time it was actually inside her. And that caused Star Sapphire herself to reemerge, um, whereas a small piece managed to survive in the gem. Um, and then Spectre eventually detains Star Sapphire, puts her into the gem, and allows Carol to smash the gem, freeing herself of this Star Sapphire separate identity. Um, and she starts feeling better after that. Hal reaches the crossroads as Spectre and decides to keep helping Carol. Um, and he wanted to rebuild Ferris Aircraft, which he had destroyed in Emerald Twilight. Well, had been destroyed, destroyed as part of Emerald Twilight. But uh, at the time, that's when he learns that uh, Parallax was actually what was causing all that. And yeah, that was the yellow impurity. And that's when the story goes more into his things going on. Um, and then he eventually gets reborn through Spectre. And Carol asks him if he remembers any of it. Of course, he doesn't remember everything, but he remembers watching his events play out third person, but no personal details of it. And she uh, is uh, going, she decides she's going to try to fix things with her husband, um, Gil, at the time. That obviously didn't work, the divorce. Um, and she does manage to succeed in rebuilding Ferris Aircraft, offers Hal a job, but he decides not to take it. Now, there's an arc referred to as Mystery of the Star Sapphires, and it uh, goes back and forth with her feelings when she was the Star Sapphire character. But eventually, um, her and Hal start interacting again, and it becomes awkward, and she separates from him, and he gets a hold of uh, Tom Kalmaku, uh, and that's when he found out that Carol had been recently divorced, and that's why everything was so awkward with her. Now, following the announcement of Sinestro's uh, intended execution, Hal went to talk to Carol as she was flying a plane, and that's when he explained how close that he and Sinestro had been and how he really didn't want him dead, per se. And Carol commented that he sounded like he just needed justification, and she gave it to him, reminding Hal that Sinestro was the one that put Parallax inside him. So that really helped uh, Hal refocus things. Now then, in the events of Blackest Night, she eventually gets um, into an altercation with Hal, uh, usually just a small argument. She's, uh, well, not really an argument even, just a sort of a being dismayed when she finds out that uh, Hal was, uh, well, spending time with um, a fellow pilot that went by the call name uh, Cowgirl. And when Carol tried to get a hold of him, she got Cowgirl, and that sent her down a little bit of a depression streak. And she hopped in one of Hal's old planes and went to fly it, and that's when a star sapphire ring caught up with her and broke through the cockpit and attached herself. And then that's when she got uh, took to uh, Zamoron to be inducted into the Star Sapphire Corps, which had been reformed from what had been previously with uh, power ring technology. Although she initially declined the membership, um, she later accepted the ring when she was informed about the Blackest Night situation and that Hal was supposed to die as part of it. 
Um, she then uh, got a knockdown drag out with Sinestro, and then she eventually joined forces with him when, uh, along with Hal and Indigo One, when Indigo One explained that the combination of lights can destroy the Black Rings. And then they started to recruit representative members of the other corps. And after Sinestro defeated Mongol, they called themselves the New Guardians. They went back to Coast City, um, took on Necron, but uh, unfortunately Carol has an on-again, off-again love relationship. Her, Her love is strong, but it has chinks in the armor, if you will. And therefore she couldn't quite get her uh, power to bond with the other six lights and that allowed Necron to really hammer down some people and make a whole bunch of new Black Lanterns. And that's when Ganthet forced a secret protocol that was in uh, the Star Sapphire Ring that brought about seeking a deputy. That's that self-replication that the rings can do occasionally. Um, and that's that deputy chosen was Wonder Woman, um, as a temporary star sapphire due to her ability to feel great love. And then that all went down and Necron gets dropped. Um, and then that's when Hal has to release uh, Parallax to take on Black Lantern Spectre. And that's when Carol went forward to inform Hal that she still loved him. Right before uh, Hal allowed Parallax to possess him because she didn't want him to do that again. And that's how they took out Necron indefinitely. Then the brightest day happens and it gets super complicated because, well, brightest day is nowhere near the masterpiece that Blackest Night is. Brightest day, um, it was kind of a wind-down series. However, that was when Carol um, was able to deal with a horde of Hawkmen from Hawk World and was able to get Hawk Man and Hawk Woman to understand, well, Hawk Girl is his termed, but uh, Hawk Man and Hawk Girl, she was able to get a chance to talk with them, got them at least in the right minds, and, well, that's when she informed them that uh, they had more love than her and Hal could ever have, and well, that's when Carol informs the others what happens on Hawkworld. Because it was Predator and Star Sapphire, they'd approached, uh, they got Hawkworld all riled up. And then later on in the War of the Green Lanterns, um, the New Guardians are a big uh, part of that one. And on the way to Ryut, uh, Krona and the other emotional entities are not on the planet when they found there, but they did find the Book of Black. Um, and that's when the former Sinestro Corps member uh, Lisa Drock appears. And she subdues the New Guardians, trapping them all in the book, except for Hal. And he escapes with the rings of the New Guardians. Uh, Carol's ring is not used until it's needed to crack the central power battery and free Parallax. Um, And the New Guardians are freed from the Book of Black, which include Carol. After Hal uh, kills Krona, and Sinestro is inducted into the core, and Hal is stripped of his ring and sent back to Earth. Now... That's really the last major role that uh, Star Sapphire played in anything. But her character is very interesting. Um, cosplays range anywhere from tolerable to scandalous. Um, I, I've seen some pretty skimpy Star Sapphire outfits. Um, comic accurate, though, it should be pointed out. But I think that, you know, it's important that we have a character with a love-based 
power set. I mean, even the oath of the Star Sapphires uh, goes along these lines. For hearts long lost and full of fright, for those alone in blackest night, accept our ring and join our fight. Love conquers all with violet light. And I'm going to go ahead and end this segment there. However, I do want to make one quick announcement that the March episode schedule is going to be a little wonky. Instead of there being a March 1st episode, since February is such a short month anyhow, I've decided to go ahead and do a March 25th episode. I know that's only 10 days after the release of the long episode for March, but it'll be a Tolkien reading day special, and I can't, as a podcaster and as a Tolkien fan, I can't miss my opportunity there. So, with that being said, I just want to let remind you all to have a good time of things. Keep your power rings charged, your pleats in the back, and stay geeky. This episode of the Kilted Lantern Podcast was made possible using the software on Anchor.fm, and the music included in it is from their free music library. Any intellectual properties referenced in this episode are copyright to their respective creators and or copyright holders and are used without permission. Any views mentioned in this are the views of those that brought them forth and do not represent the views of any connected franchises or intellectual properties associated with them or their holders. This is your host again reminding you to keep your ring charged your pleats in the back, and stay geeky.